you know, I, I was so thankful for our time in worship this morning when Clayton was talking about where we're going to be going in, in chapter 3 of John's gospel and uh, just the opportunity to prepare our hearts. You know, God's word is not something we enter into lightly. It's not, uh, it's not just another moment in our week. It really is a moment for us to slow down, to lean in, to understand that God has spoken and is speaking to us through his word right now. And so uh, I'm thankful for the time we get to spend in the gospel of John and, and, and as we explore more of the life of Jesus there. This morning, I have a, a question for you, and it's, it's kind of a personal question. It's one that I encourage you to think about a little bit. Do you like to dance? I mean, do you, do you, do you like to get out on the dance floor at weddings, or, or do you remember from your high school uh, years going to dances? Did you have fun? Was this something that you enjoyed doing? You know, there's even a, a show out there that, that I think it's called So You Think You Can Dance. My answer to that question is no. I do not think I I know I can't dance, so I'm, I'm not afraid to, or I am afraid to go on that show. I'm not even going to venture a guess as to how I would do. Th- then there are those of us who, uh, who, who can't dance but love getting out there anyway, right? They're the ones whose arms are flailing, legs are kicking. They're having the joy of, of their life, the greatest time. And, and you know what? They're just not great dancers, but they love dancing. There, there was a song, I think it was from the 90s, I think it's in the 90s, by Leanne Womack. Uh, she sang a song called, uh, I Hope You Dance, right? It's a song about a mother singing to her children, hoping that, that, that they'll live their lives to the fullest, that, that they won't uh, be afraid to take risks, that they'll, they'll, they'll take steps out into life and live their life to the fullest. See, dance is something that's not just beautiful to, to watch, but, but it's interesting because it, it actually illustrates dynamics of living our lives, like Leanne Womack sang about, right? That, that, it's a, that, it, that it's this illustration of us getting up and moving around and, and, and facing our fears and, and getting out there and living our lives to the fullest. See, as John wraps up his teaching on Jesus' conversation in chapter 3, he depicts the life of John the Baptist as, as a bit of a dance with Jesus. He depicts the, the relationship that John the Baptist has with Jesus. And, and what's more is I, I'm pretty sure, I believe, that it's a depiction of the relationship of a disciple to Jesus, right? That, that, that we as disciples of Jesus have this relationship with Jesus and it's going to look or should look or it does look a lot like John the Baptist's relationship with Jesus, as we see here in John chapter 3. See, Gary Thomas tells a story in one of his books about this uh, Russian ballet choreographer named George Balanchine. And George Balanchine once describes ballet as this. He says, ballet is woman. I, I think part of that is his, his Russian language, uh, where it doesn't sound right, ballet, ballet is woman. Uh, you know, you'd think it's ballet is women, it's ballet is woman, and it's intentional that way because what he understands as ballet is this relationship between a male dancer and a female dancer where all of the, the, of the dance, all of ballet is about promoting and, and putting forward and making much of the beauty and the choreography of the, the female dancer. Ballet is woman. It's about that, the, the female dancer showcasing her, highlighting her beauty and her elegance, in the same way, I think that discipleship is Jesus. So as we turn to John chapter 3 this morning, I want us to, to get an idea of the picture that John paints, John the evangelist paints for us 
of what it looks like to have this relationship, to be a disciple of Jesus. So feel free to turn to John chapter 3 in your Bibles. I'll read it for us. It'll be on the screen. There's Bibles in the the seat back in front of you. You can turn there to the fourth gospel, John. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 3, and I'm going to read for us verses 22 through 36. Allow me to read for us from the gospel of John. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there, And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is, a, is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Allow me to pray and give thanks for God's word. Father, we do thank you for the fact that you have spoken into existence our way of coming to know you. To to know you in both a uh, general way of knowing that there is a creator, there's a, uh, one who is our, our heavenly father, but, but then to know you personally through Jesus Christ as we read about him and as we come to know him through the scriptures. Lord, I pray this morning that you would uh, enlighten our hearts and minds, embolden us to live into our relationship with Jesus, uh, the relationship of a disciple. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometime after Nicodemus and Jesus met in John chapter 3, uh, we're told that, that Jesus and, and his disciples, they go off into the countryside and they begin teaching and baptizing people about forgiveness and new life, right? And, and, and as they head out into the countryside, as they begin to do ministry, people flock to them, they gather to them, and, and they gather to them in such a way that John's disciples and others begin to take notice, And here's where John the Baptist teaches us and others about the proper relationship, the proper posture of a disciple, one who who has said yes to to receiving the life that we find in Jesus Christ. But it's not just about taking from God, taking this new life. It's about living into that new life. The Bible may not say relationship with Jesus, right? But it certainly talks about the gift of, of walking day by day with Jesus, Right? Paul talks about it. He says, keep in step with the Spirit. He talks about walking with Jesus, walking with the Holy Spirit in faith. 
There's a relationship that's described in the Bible, even though we don't actually see the words relationship with Jesus depicted for us. And, and, and here, John draws this picture of a relationship with Jesus through the, the struggles, through the angst that his disciples feel. That, that, that there's something that is stirred within them, this jealousy as John's disciples look at Jesus and his disciples and, and, and they've got an issue with the fact that people are now flocking to them. Take a look at verses 25 and 26 again with me. We're, we're told, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and, and all are going to him. Now, at first glance, uh, the first time we read through this passage, it, it kind of seems like this discussion is about something holy, something righteous, something religious, about purification, right? That's an important thing for the Jews. That was an important thing for, for those who are, who are coming before God to worship him. That's an important thing for you and I. When we talk about receiving forgiveness, we're talking about the purification of our soul, the purification of our hearts. That seems like a good thing, right? That seems like the disciples' hearts and minds are in the right place. But it's not. See, their, their focus is not so much on, on what's good and right and righteous. They're, about, they're focused on a, about attracting the biggest crowd. They want something bigger, better, stronger in comparison to Jesus. See, the, the word that John uses for discussion here in our passage is zetasis. It's a Greek word, which means a matter of dispute or, or an engagement in a controversial discussion. See, they're, they're not just having this discussion with, with, with John and saying, hey, John, what do you think about this? What's your opinion? Right? They're whipped up. They're, they're energized. They're, they're angry. They're jealous. They're, there's emotion in their conversation with John, right? And their emotion is there because of the condition of their heart. The, the position of their heart in how they approach the situation. See, so what's controversial is not so much that Jesus is, uh, and his disciples are baptizing more people than John and his disciples. What's controversial is the mindset that John's disciples hold. See, comparison, comparison is a dangerous thing. And it's a danger that every person faces. It's a danger that is sneaky and, and, and soaks into our lives, that, that, that sneaks in the back door and, and, and is there, and all of a sudden we notice, wow, I'm, I'm actually living my life comparing my faith or my, my, my status with the person next to me, right? Comparison causes us to believe in something other than the truth, that, that when we compare ourselves or our faith to someone else's life, we tend to believe that there's something wrong with our faith in comparison to them. But the only standard to which we compare ourselves is Jesus Christ, who is perfect and who will never live up to the standard of Jesus in our own power, but we are made righteous through Christ alone. And so comparison to anything other than Jesus is a, a dangerous thing. Now, I, I love hearing people's testimonies. I think people's testimonies have a powerful way of encouraging us to walk in faith, to grow in our faith, to, to step out and, and to be challenged to, to live our faith in, in ways that we weren't otherwise aware of had we not heard how God's working in someone else's life. 
But I think the testimonies can also be dangerous, right? Because they're a snapshot of someone's life. They're a summary of how God has worked in someone's life. When, when, we, when we look at someone else's life, when we compare our faith to how God's worked in their life, we tend to think, oh, well, well I guess I need to do that. Well, God must not be working in my life the same way because, or, or as much because look at how, what he's doing in their life. What's wrong with me that God doesn't love me enough to do what he did in their life? But see, I, I think that when you compare your life to a snapshot or, or a small amount, you, you, you get into this place of, uh, of danger because, because you need to compare your life to the fullness of, of someone else's life and understand that it's not just seeing the good that God has done, it's understanding the depth of pain that they've gone through as well. Would we really compare ourselves to other people's lives and envy the life that they have, the faith that they have, if we understand, understood the depth of pain that they themselves had to walk through? I don't think so. See, I, I think that when we compare ourselves to other, others, uh, we, we, we walk a dangerous path. Comparison not only is dangerous in terms of our own well-being and our own ability to discern what God is doing in our life and where he's leading us to grow in faith, comparison is actually a sin. It's, it's something that God has said, don't do this. It's going to only hurt you, harm you, and drive a wedge between you and I. Comparison is a sin that we see articulated in, in the Ten Commandments, right? When Moses wrote down the Ten Commandments as God gave them to him on top of Mount Sinai, he, he wrote down the, the Tenth Commandment, which said that we are not to covet. We are not to envy. We are not to look at other people's lives, compare our life to them, and, and desire what they have because there's some sort of shortcoming in our lives, why is it so important that, that God desires his people not to, to covet, to, to envy what others have, to, to compare our lives to others? Well, because it destroys our lives from the inside out. Solomon says in Proverbs 14, he says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy, envy makes the bones rot, right? I mean, I, I don't have to tell you much about envy in comparison, do I? I mean, we live in the day and age of social media, which has many blessings, many good things that we can enjoy and, and appreciate, but it also comes with the, the flip side of that coin, where, where we look at a snapshot of a person's life and we compare ourselves to them and we feel lacking. We feel less than. We feel like we need to have what they have. See, comparison has a way of cultivating this discontent in our soul. Wanting more, this dissatisfaction with the blessings that God has already given us. And I'm sure that there's even more, right? See, envy, comparing ourselves to others, it's a tireless waste of our time. It's a tireless waste of our time to compare ourselves to others and chase after what we think we should be because we're looking at them. We need to keep our eyes on Christ. We need to focus on him. That's why this relationship with Jesus is so important because there are so many distractions to walking in faithfulness in this world. See, if time is a, a resource, a gift that God has given us, and if God is asking us to, to take care of, to steward, to use the time that he's given us and to use it well, then, then it's a waste of our time as disciples of Jesus to, to compare our lives to others and to envy what they have. 
See, John's disciples, they were wasting their time. They were wasting their time in this angst and this anxiety over looking at Jesus and his disciples and saying, hey, why don't we have that? John's disciples were wasting their time and comparing their lives to Jesus and to his disciples. And so what they're about to learn, what John's disciples are about to learn through the life of John the Baptist is the proper posture, the proper positions of a disciple as they dance with Jesus. Now, I don't know if you know this, but, but apparently in ballet, there are different standard placements of our feet on the floor when you dance and, and when you perform ballet. I've not actually performed ballet, but maybe I'd be more nimble on my toes today if I had learn to dance ballet. But what I understand is that, that there are these five positions that, that a, a ballerina or, or a male, male ballet dancer will, uh, will, will position their feet in as they do the dance of ballet. Is that right? Do the dance of ballet? Perform ballet? Something like that, right? And, and I don't know if you can guess the positions, but, but, but once, you, once you hear them, it'll all make sense. First position... Second position, third position, fourth position, and guess what? Fifth position, that's right. Five positions, right? And, and, and it's, it's a subtle difference of moving the feet. I'm, never mind, I'm not going to do it. But it's a subtle movement of the feet, but it's important to the dance of ballet. That there's this, this structured, this disciplined placement of our feet. So that, so that as we have the opportunity to dance we can do it well, that it, it, it results in this gracious, this, this beautiful, this majestic dance that comes through the discipline of, of learning to dance ballet. See, John's disciples, they learn that there's some disciplined positions that a follower of Jesus takes to grow in their relationship with Jesus. To, to be able to hear at the end of their life, well done, good and faithful servant. To, to be able to see the fruit of the Spirit growing and cultivating in their life because they have chosen to dance with Jesus and to do so taking the positions that he teaches them that they might learn the life that he invites them into. Listen to what John says in chapter 3, verses 27 through 30 in response to, to, to his disciples bickering. John answers them. He says, a person cannot receive even one thing, one thing, unless it's given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase but I must decrease. See, the first position of a disciple is contentment in God. It's contentment in Christ. When his disciples get all concerned that they're not getting the proper attention that they believe they deserve, John says, hey, I can't receive anything. I don't have anything unless it's been given to me by the hand of God. The blessings I have in my life, the things that have happened, the, the, the fact that I've gotten to the place that I am now in my faith and in my life is purely and purposely the work of God. I have nothing but the things that I've, been, I've received from heaven above. 
Now, I've got to admit, right, John has this attitude where he says, that's exactly what I want. I, I don't want more than what God will offer me, what God will give me. What God offers is, is purely enough. And I've got to admit that that attitude is hard for me. To be content in what God blesses me with is a difficult mindset, a, a difficult posture of my heart. Because I have wrestled with seeking contentment my whole life. In fact, if, if, you, if I ever have the chance to share my, my faith journey with you, my, my testimony and, and how God has worked in my life, uh, I believe that, that the common thread, the, the red thread woven through my life is a thread of seeking contentment. I, I've sought contentment in the world. I've chased after things and people, relationships, thinking that they're going to make my soul feel satisfied, to be satisfied. And what I've learned along the way is how fragile the treasures of this earth truly are. How quickly fading they become. How susceptible to rust and being stolen they are. They're not eternal treasures. And so I came to appreciate that the treasures that I find in Christ alone are the things that that I've been created to find contentment and satisfaction in. I don't need more, bigger. I don't need better. I need Jesus. See, I resonate so strongly with Paul's words in Philippians chapter 4. He says this. He says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, Paul's posture is one of contentment in Christ alone. That, that he can somehow be content if he has much that this world has to offer. He can be content at the very same time if he has very little of what this world has to offer. Because his contentment isn't dependent on this world. It's dependent on God. And so it is with John the Baptist. His contentment is not dependent upon what the other people gathered around him see when all of those disciples, all those people follow after Jesus. His contentment is in the knowledge that he has been sent by God, that, that, that he has been given a mission, that, that he is loved by God, and that God is fulfilling his promises, God's promises. See, John the Baptist, he is content in what God has given him, in his relationship with God. That's the first position of a disciple, contentment in Christ. The second position of a disciple is second. I know, it sounds, maybe it sounds like I made a mistake there, but it's not. The second position of a disciple is second. John chapter 3, verse 28 through 29 says this. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is complete. 
Now we know from looking at earlier passages in John that that John the Baptist is the one who who fulfills the promise in Isaiah that he's the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. The promise given hundreds of years before that God would send one ahead of Jesus, ahead of the Savior, to, to point to Jesus, to be that friend of the bridegroom, that promise is fulfilled in John the Baptist, and he knows this. He understands that's his calling. His calling is not to be number one. His calling is to be second. Not be first, but to be second. You see, in, in, in the Bible, we, we have this analogy that Jesus gives us of, of, of him being the, the groom, the bridegroom, and, and his church being the bride. And that when Jesus returns, the, the bride will come to meet the bridegroom. The, the church and, and Jesus will be reunited and there will be a great wedding celebration, right? And, and here in our passage, John identifies Jesus as the bridegroom. And if he is the bridegroom, then John sees himself as the best man, right? You think of the, the role of the best man. He gets to throw a party for the bridegroom, Right? He gets to gather all the best buddies together and, and celebrate this, this new celebration, this new season in the life of, of, of his friend, the, the man getting married. The friend of the bridegroom gets to celebrate, to rejoice in this relationship that the bridegroom is stepping into. It's a very special gift to be second. Much rejoicing can be had here. But see, I... I think that this, this, this is sometimes a hard position for us to, to take, right? It's humbling not being the person who's in first. It's humbling not being center stage. It's humbling at, at times being the person who props up and puts forward the person who's truly first. See, Jesus, he's the groom. His disciples, we're, we're his best man or a woman, Jesus is the sender. We're the ones who are sent. Jesus is the one who's exalted. We're the ones who are exalting him. And, and so as we're sent out to point the way to Jesus, so, so the church may, may be known and, and, and may grow and people may come to know Jesus as their savior. We're sent out to point to number one, to point to who's first, and it's Jesus. In the scriptures, we're told of how Jesus sent out his disciples two by two out to, to proclaim and, and to declare the coming of the kingdom. Jesus sends, they are sent, right? But, but this sending out is not just for those disciples that walk the earth with Jesus. This being sent out is true for every one of Jesus' disciples, Right? The, the great commission we see in Matthew 28, it begins with Jesus saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus sends all of his disciples, you and me, to go. We're sent. Jesus is the sender. He's first. We're second. So the second position of a disciple, the, the second important posture of, of those who dance with Jesus is that we understand our role, our position of being second. And Jesus is first. The third position of dancing with Jesus is one of decrease. 
John says in verse 30 of our passage, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now this dance position flies in the face of our world. It flies in the face of of, of what our world expects. The world teaches us to get what's ours, to, to look out for number one, to work for the American dream and to retire in peace. But the scriptures teach us that as disciples, our life is not our own. Our life is not our own. Our purpose should not be about satisfying our own desires. Paul actually says it like this in 1 Corinthians. He says, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants. Do not become slaves of men. Now, I don't know if you understand this, but, but you and I, we're men. We're mankind. We, we, are, we are the ones that, 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 that Paul encourages disciples of Christ not to be servants or slaves of, Right? We, we are not, uh, our lives, the purpose of our lives is not being people pleasers, is not making others happy, others content. When we serve others in this world, it's not so that we can feel good about making them happy. We serve others because that's the position we take as dancers with Jesus. We make much of Jesus. We understand that we step back. We, we step back into the, the background. We follow his lead because our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price. See, Jesus is, he's the one leading in the dance. I know that, you know, if you've ever learned how to dance, slow dance for, in, you know, if you ever had a dance coming up in high school and you had to learn how to do the slow dance, you were taught that, uh, that, that, that one person leads, traditionally the male leads and, and the female follows the, the male dancer's lead, right? And, and I think we have to understand this relationship of discipleship As John the Baptist teaches us through his relationship with Jesus here is that disciples of Jesus understand that Jesus leads, we follow. He must increase, but I must decrease. Discipleship increasingly gives Jesus center stage, not just in our lives, but in our world Discipleship is, is a matter of, uh, of dancing with Jesus in such a way that, that when it comes to glory, we gladly step back and we put Jesus forward, right? So just as the Russian ballet choreographer George Balanchine says, ballet is woman, discipleship is Jesus. It's all about uh, highlighting his beauty and his glory, his grace and his forgiveness, his love and compassion, Discipleship is Jesus. So the first position in discipleship is contentment in Christ. The the second position in discipleship is that we are second. And the third position is one of decrease. And why must he increase and we decrease? Well, why must he be first? Because he is the truth of heaven. Come down to be among us. He, He is the truth. The only truth. He is the way. He is the life. He comes down that we might receive him, believe in him, and obey in him, and and have this eternal life free from the wrath of God, that we might have peace with God through Jesus as we dance this dance with him. Take a look at verses 31 through 36 of our passage. It says this. He says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. 
He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, God has placed everything, all of his words, all of his spirit, all of his truth into Jesus. Everything into the one who is from heaven and is above all, sent from God that we might receive him. To set our seal to him, to say, I am all in on Jesus. No matter what my circumstances look like, whether I have much or little, I am all in on Jesus. I want to dance with him. I want to believe that all power, all authority, all truth, all wisdom, all all knowledge, all righteousness is found in him and in him alone. I will find my contentment in him. I will follow his lead. I will allow, I will, I will ask that he increase and I will seek to decrease before Jesus. See, you can, you can believe in the wisdom of man if you want. You can go to, to CVS and, and in the checkout, pick out one of the self-help books, which, which has wisdom in it, has, has some great ideas in it. It has earthly knowledge and wisdom in it. But if that's all you want, earthly knowledge, that's all you'll get. It's a knowledge which, which may work for a little while, but has its limits. It's a knowledge that is limited to this world. Or you could believe in the one sent from heaven, the one sent from God, the one who comes with heavenly wisdom, heavenly knowledge, eternal strength and eternal power and authority and righteousness, the one who is sent to simply ask you to receive. So can we simply receive him? Can can we go all in on God and obey Jesus? To to understand that that, that, that to believe in him as John depicts it here is to obey him, to follow his lead. See, Trinity, I, I hope in the words of Leanne Womack, I hope you dance. I, I, I hope you dance with Jesus. I hope that discipleship is not just about sitting out the dance, but, but, but stepping in. That, that we're not going to commit ourselves as disciples of Jesus to standing by the punch bowl while the dance is going on. But that we get on the dance floor and we dance with Jesus. See, so what it means to believe Jesus and to follow him is getting into the dance and following his lead. Get in there. Get in there and dance with him, Trinity. Dance with the one who created you. Embrace your calling from God. Embrace the invitation he has put before you to simply receive him, to follow his lead, to walk with him, to dance with him. And then enjoy seeing his promises fulfilled in your life and in the lives of people around you. You know, I'm, I'm told, or I should say, in, in, I read in Gary Thomas's book that, that a male ballet dancer knows he's successfully done the dance when at the end of the dance, he steps back into the darkness and that female ballet dancer, the ballerina, 
steps forward into the applause, the roaring applause and celebration of the beauty of the dance, that she receives all the applause and he humbly and quietly disappears into the background. He knows he's done well when the dance comes to an end and he hears the applause and he knows it's all about her, that he has supported her, that he's upheld her, that he's, that he's danced with her, that he's followed what, 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 what she has been called to do. And he's, he's put her forward to receive all the applause. Trinity, this is what the world needs. The, the world needs disciples of Jesus that live like a male ballet dancer, that, 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 that look to see Jesus held up and celebrated for who he is and what he has done, to, to be glorified, and for us to humbly and contentedly slip into the background as Jesus receives all the glory. Trinity, he must increase, and we must decrease. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I know that it is an amazing gift to receive life and love and compassion and grace and forgiveness in Jesus. And you, you invite us to simply receive, to accept your invitation to dance with you. And yet, Lord, I know that the dance is difficult. It's hard. Lord, I, I, I know that we we at times think we know how to dance the dance better than Jesus. We at times know that we don't want to look silly. We don't want to look like someone else looks better than us on the dance floor. We are afraid to dance because we're afraid that we won't, we won't be accepted on the dance floor. We won't look like we know what we're doing. And yet you invite us nonetheless to follow you, to dance with you. So Lord, I'll Give us the boldness and the courage this morning to say yes to your invitation to dance, to, to, to be content in Christ, to, to glory in being second, to rejoice in the bridegroom, to, to rejoice in being the best man and, and hearing his voice. And Lord, give us the courage to, to see you increase and us decrease. May that be said of the disciples of Jesus here at Trinity, I ask in your name, amen.